Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into this episode, shall we? I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Today on the show, Creative Worlds Collide, we have guest Austin Cleon. I feel like Austin is kind of my creative cousin who's who's cooler, more well-read than me, calmer. I'm like the hyper alternative of this guy. And, uh, you know, on that spectrum of creative to career, he's a lot more on the creative side. And uh, he's been a big inspiration to me over the years. You know, I quote his stuff from time to time. He has a, his latest book is called Keep Going. And it's a great book for the times that we find ourselves in. And if you're looking for how do I keep showing up to my practice, I highly recommend this book. There's tons of good stuff in there. I just got to a part about not being obsessed with numbers as a creator, which we did an episode about that recently. And I think everybody's feeling the, the pain of the social media rat race and tons of good stuff to recenter yourself as a creative in that book. This conversation was so cathartic to me. We talk a lot about 
just how complicated it is to be a creative fan of anybody anymore. It's it's a difficult thing. And how do you work through that? We talked through some really big questions. I don't know if we get answers, but I do think there's a ton of insight that Austin brings to these topics. And we also talk about how to find creative diamonds in the rough times that we're living in, dumpster diving into the cultural garbage and kind of becoming a refinery, how art can be transcendent, which I was pumped that Austin was using words like that because I feel like that's, you know, he's usually a little bit reserved in those kind of words. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think we bonded over the overlap in our creative philosophies, and I think you're going to get a lot from it. Here he is, creative powerhouse, Austin Cleon. You know, it's a podcaster's dream to interview someone who has some things to talk about like that. (laughs) And I don't talk to anyone anymore. I don't even get to talk to my (laughs) wife anymore. We stopped walking together because the kids got too big. Yeah. So we barely talk anymore. Put all of that energy in this episode, please. Okay. Br- bring it all. I want to hear all this stuff. And you're derailing my whole plan. I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about. But, That's fine. You know, we're, you've already brought up some topics. I'm like, man, I want to hear more about this. Like <laughs> the whole thing of uh, the, you know, the great artist, bad person thing. Was it you that on Twitter was talking about... I feel like it might have been you was talking about Bill Cosby and there was something about how yeah dicey territory <laughs> but I feel like Bill Cosby is a great example for me of someone who I can't separate the art and the artist because yeah it was so you know art is so much about authenticity and you can make authentic art about terrible terrible feelings and it be really great art but when you're making art and you're just what feels like a flat out lie of like, I'm a family man who, you know, all these other things, that's when I think it becomes really difficult for me to separate it. Does that make sense? Did you, I feel like maybe you spoke on this at some point. Absolutely. Well, I think comedians are really difficult because you have to listen to them. You know, their whole art is them, is their voice. It's the same reason that it's incredibly hard to watch Annie Hall now right, because- yeah. You have to look at Woody Allen. Yeah, I mean, true, if Woody right. Allen was behind the camera, you know, like Chinatown is a little bit easier for me to process because I don't have to look at. I mean, there's that one scene with Roman Polanski, but like I, you know, you know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Like there, there's something about comedians where they're creating, even if they're creating a persona. I mean, there you have to listen to their voice, and so you're aware it's them the whole time. Yeah. You know, the problem with someone like. I think the problem with someone like Cosby is that you just – I feel lucky that I listened to that Cosby stuff before I knew – because I because now I know the connections. Yeah. You know, when I listen to Bill – the thing I worry about is history. Mm-hmm. And I worry about young artists not being able to trace their roots – because they won't allow themselves to explore yeah. 
um, some of these people that came before just because they're not, uh, you know, we're not supposed to listen to them anymore or look at them. So, like, for example, if Chris Rock, if you're, if you're a young person, a young comedian or something, and you're listening to Chris Rock and you love him, but you don't listen to Bill Cosby. Yeah. You don't know where that's coming from. Yeah. You know, so it's very, I mean, it is very, uh, it, you know, for one thing, you could just listen to women and a lot of this gets cleared up. Yeah. yeah right? right. You know? I mean, that's, that, I, that's always my advice to artists these days is like, you that's know, amazing. start, start, uh, start listening to women a lot more and then you don't have to worry about, that's so you know, cause of course there are women art monsters too, yeah. but, uh, there are fewer of them. Uh-huh. On the whole. Um, But, you know, I think what's weird now is that our consumption has become so public now. We're supposed to kind of like tell everyone what we're listening to Mm. and what we're reading and what we're watching. And and I know that's a big part of my practice um, is being open with people about my influences. But I really see a time in which some young up-and-coming artist is sort of binging on this forbidden fruit, you know, yeah. who like, like there's some artist somewhere, some young artist somewhere that's like, you know, uh, um, you know, digesting some of this stuff and consuming it and they're taking the good bits, you know, and they'll weave it into something new. And I mean, this is a very romantic idea, but I, I feel like in the future, or even in the very recent, you know, present, there are going to be people that consume things that they're not supposed to, and they're going to glean and steal things from those things, and they're going to take them, and it's going to feel totally new to people because they don't know where it comes from. Yeah, (laughs) you know, definitely. So I can see some, I could see like, uh, some some young artist like totally stealing Woody Allen moves, yeah, and then giving it to us in ten years, and people are like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, you know, young people being like, What is this? This is cool. You know what I mean? One hundred. And in some ways, there would be a sort of Robin Hood justice to that, right? Yes. Because Woody Allen took so much from the people that came before him, but then he became this like sort of rotten link in the chain, and so. I don't know. Maybe there's a healing element to that, that if if the people who come after these quote-unquote bad men, if they can kind of take their influences and push them forward into the future, you know, maybe some of that rotten lineage gets repaired. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But these are the ideas. This is what I think about, Man, you know, all day. I love that so much. And I, you know, that that requires the courage to go wade into that kind of territory. And it reminds me of, you know, I'm very fascinated by this idea that the hero is only born when they have the courage to disobey their masters. Like that's a thing I think a lot about because like when I called myself Andy J pizza and changed my last name, not legally, (laughs) but online, that was just something that I thought my heroes would hate that. Like they would think that was the dumbest, cheapest, you know, just, I just know that's just not their their flavor, but it's just true to me. Like I'm a goofball and all, you know, all that stuff. But it reminds me of something I've been thinking a lot about, which is 
you know, going into my childhood and thinking who were the biggest influences on me and, and how do I want to carry the torch past what they did? One of the biggest influences on me is Ace Ventura and Jim Carrey. Like that, that movie changed my life. And I thought about it changed my life because it was a different picture of masculinity. It told me that, you know, what's all this real, how you're so weird can actually be this amazing thing. And I watched people like my dad and my mom and all, everyone I knew just loved this person that was clearly weird and I'd always felt super weird. And it, and it made me feel celebrated and accepted. And yet, looking back on that movie, it's pretty, you know, transphobic as a, as a movie. Like it has, it wasn't inclusionary of all kinds of people. That It maybe made me feel like accepted but that work was not done you know what i mean right and so what do you do with it now you know this is part of our work as artists is to look back on our influences to these things that were really formative to us and to say what do i do with this now like what yeah. do i what do i do with this i mean a really good example was jeffrey tambor the actor from arrested development and transparent yeah, um right. i had I mean, I watched two of his acting workshops at South by Southwest, and they were two of the most amazing hours I'd ever seen. I mean, yeah. literally, I, and I've talked to other people who have seen these workshops. I mean, they were just wonderful, just wonderful workshops. And he has, he said this thing that I, I that became a mantra in our house. He said, "Worrying is not preparation." Worrying yeah. is not preparation. We used to say that. My wife and I used to say that to each other all the time. And we still do, actually. And yeah. when the stuff came out about him, I had this moment where I thought, well, what happens to these teachings? What happens to this wisdom that, you know, I gleaned from him? And I just decided it's mine now. Yeah. It's mine. I, yeah. Worrying is not preparation. That's mine now. It doesn't have anything to do with him anymore because I've... I've taken it in, you know, yeah. I've taken it into my life. It's become something else. It's become something more, you know, meaningful to me. And so it's not his anymore. He doesn't get it. And so, you know, it's like, um, gosh, I mean, I think especially children of the 80s, I mean, you know, yeah. just just watch an Eddie Murphy stand-up routine and yeah. you're just, it's just, <laughs> half of it is the funniest stuff you've ever heard in your life and the other is just, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, it's just, the 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 homophobia in that is is, is unbelievable and something like, you know, but I think in some ways, you know, uh, he's an example of someone who went away for a while, and I think he's sort of, I don't know that he's atoning for it, but I think we have to also, um, you know, who wants to get rid of Eddie Murphy in some yeah. ways, you know? I mean, I was, I'm thinking about his recent work and how much I love it. And who knows? He's coming back. Yeah, Dolomite or, or like he's doing uh, Coming to America. It's coming back, yeah, which I just like, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, it's, it's you know, I, but I think this is part of the work. And the work is never ending. I mean, as we evolve as a culture or, or devolve or, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've got to constantly – you know, you, you, I think, I think for me, like a big example of this, particularly for, for readers and, and writers is that the, the easiest way to understand this is to reread books. 
um, I'm someone who has preached over the past couple of years that people should reread, rewatch, re-listen to these these things that had such a big impact. Um, because every time you come to a cultural object like that, yeah. you're literally a different person. I mean, uh, well, I mean, maybe not literally, but in a sense, yes. I mean, your cells regenerate, you know, how many ever days yeah. and, and you've had new experiences. So, you know, every time you pick up a book, you're a different person and that makes the reading experience different. The book is the same, can be the same exact book, but you're different now. And so the reading experience is different. And that's the same for music and that's the same for movies and whatever. And I just think, um, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, Fitzgerald said the the sign of a, a true intelligence is to be able to hold two opposing, you know, ideas in your head at the same yeah. time yeah. to say to yourself, you know, this changed my life when I was a kid. And now I look at it and it's deeply, deeply flawed, you yeah. know, and to look at it and say, this did something for me then. It doesn't do it for me now. But also, well, what are the pieces I, what are the diamonds I can mine out of this rough? Like, what can I, you know, what can I take out of this and, and, you know, make it better? You know, I don't think people talk enough about um, how much disgust and can be a creative force. Um, oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's this great, there's this great Kurt Vonnegut print. What they did where he was like, you know, where did Beethoven get his ideas? You know, same as all of us, you know, it was discussed with civilization. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I love that because, it, you know, I think people, you know, especially my readers, you know, when you read my books, you're really getting the most energetic, enthusiastic, helpful version of me. <laughs> but, but yeah. like, I mean, those books start with disgust. I mean, they, 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 they start with the disgust with something in the culture. And what I do is I get disgusted with something that's sort of mainstream or happening. Yeah. And then I think, well, what is the opposite of that? And a lot of the work is digging in the past to discover something that's the opposite of that. And then trying to put a new paint job on that and presenting the opposite in a positive manner. So, like, almost every book you can sort of, like, I can tell you what I was upset about. And then I can show you, you know, I could, and then I can tell you how that became the book. And yeah. now this this requires, I think this requires, like, a certain kind of, of heartful, misanthropic person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe I just am, but I don't think, I, I think people don't, don't give enough credit to disgust. I mean, that's what I get out of punk rock. You know, I feel like punk rock was really about, you know, we just, we just hated the culture and we just wanted to do something else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, Mike Watt has always said that punk isn't a style, it's a spirit. And for me, you know, my books are pretty mainstream, but they, start out with real disgust. I mean, just me being like, I hate this stuff. Yes. You know, I really hate all, you know, especially in our, you know, especially like uh, creative advice, you know, I mean, there's stuff I see, especially now. I mean, there didn't used to be as much of it, but, you know, it's like looking at someone's Pinterest board and just being like, I want to throw up all over this. <laughs> but then yeah. to take that disgust and say, okay, well, what would the opposite be? 
and then be generative and generous with it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You talked about that that's kind of how the the band the punk band Wire developed mm-hmm. their sound. Can you yeah. speak to that? Well, Wire, they just sort of like made a list of what they weren't going to do. So when they got together, they were just like, uh, you know, I'd have to, I have to find the, I could actually find the exact list, but they just got yeah. together and they were like, no guitar solos, you know, no, you know, no Americanisms, whatever that means. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but like, <laughs> you know, they just, they literally made a list of what they weren't going to do in their music and what they came up with afterwards, you know, no solos, you know, when we're out of words, we stop, you know, we don't rock out, we keep it to the point, you know, it was just like this list of things they weren't going to do. And then their sound came out of it. And so it was almost like, you know, the things you hate become a sort of constraint creatively, where you're like, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. And pretty soon, you've set up some rules for yourself that actually create and uh, um, they're they're generative. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the negative, 100%. the opposite is what you can do. The the shout nots, the ten commandments that you give yourself. You know, they become yeah. the creative constraint that you work around. And you know, I'm a big I'm a big proponent. I mean, I'm someone who believes that I just don't think artists who work without rules are. Um, I, I think it's very hard to make art without some rules for yourself, some sort of constraint. Absolutely. And if you think about punk, I mean, you know, it, it, in, in some ways you think, oh, the spirit is no rules. But in another sense, it's a reaction to the dominant culture, too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that can be such a powerful force. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's almost a way of hacking what we know about ourselves because – you hear a lot right now about how you shouldn't congregate at, you know, as a tribe or a political party or whatever around what you're against. You should congregate around what you're for. But it's almost like a way of using what we know that we do. We know that it is top of mind what we hate. It, that's just clear. But stopping there is not very creative as an act. And I think a lot about how Anger is an, a secondary emotion. I think of it like the steam coming out of the teapot as if there's something boiling over from inside you and it's turning into anger. Like you should investigate that. At the bottom of that is not anger. It's not hate. It's some kind of love. It's some kind of justice. And it reminds me of uh, Ryan Johnson. I've heard that all of his movies start with something that he's angry about and it's always something he's angry about himself. Yes. Like that and that and he just pulls on that. He pulls on that thread. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, and that that is when I know that a book is here is when I'm sufficiently angry at the culture. Yeah. So right now, for example, I'm very angry at dads. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. very angry <laughs> at this self, you know, I'm I'm very angry at this kind of uh, you know, I, you know, be a great dad movement. <laughs> like I'm going to teach my kids. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. It, cause it, cause it still is this, it's about me, you know, yeah. Yeah. instead of creating, it's about what I'm going to pass on to my children. It's still patriarchal. You know, it's mm-hmm. still, it's still like, well, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to be in my child's life and pass these things on. And to me, I'm like, I'm the opposite with my kids. I'm like, I'm going to create the environment for them that I always, 
you know, wanted and I'm going to get out of the way. You know, I'm, mm. I'm going to get, so, so like for right now, that's, that's what I'm angry about. So the book I'm working on right now is like, how do you do that? You know, this opposite mode of, you know, not thinking about, well, what do we teach these kids? You know, instead yeah. it's like, well, how do we make spaces for kids to be more creative and in the process, you know, make spaces for ourselves to be creative. So, you know, these are the things, but like, there's always, you know, I've talked about this before where I always have a secret sentence that I haven't come up with it yet for the next book, but like I always have something in the background that's pushing the work forward that no one will know about until after it's done, mm. <laughs> you know? So like Steal Like an Artist was really about, you know, just this cult of originality and, you know, people talking about authenticity and just this kind of, I just wanted to you know, rage against it. You know, I, I didn't. And then the, you know, show your work was about this kind of idea that, well, you don't show anything to anyone until it's finished. And, you know, nobody wants to see your, you know, process and stuff like that. And, you know, keep going was, was just this idea that you need to be plugged in 24 seven and that, you know, life is linear and, and, you know, uh, the kind of cult of productivity, type stuff yeah. that I just find disgusting. You know? mm, yes, <laughs> so it's yeah. like with every book, I just have to figure out what bothers me and what I'm angry about. And then, but then turn it, you, you can't just, because those books are very easy to write. Like where you just like, you diagnose the patient, right? The, yeah. There are lots of books like that. They're like, here's what's, I, we're sick and here's how. <laughs> yeah. And there's very few books that are like, here's an alternate you know, here's a, here's a, not a cure necessarily, but here's how it could be. Here's, here's a vision of, of what else we could be doing, you know? And so you have to like, I, I was, I wrote about this yesterday. There's a great, uh, bell hooks quote where she says, you know, art isn't just about, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah. art isn't just about describing reality. It's imagining an alternate reality. Yeah. And, you know, people forget this. You know, they think, you know, especially our sort of like obsession with realism and authenticity and, you know, tell, yeah. tell, keeping it real and all that, you yeah. know, I mean, we really, that, that is, you know, that, that is sort of our adult dom, but there are other modes, you know, I mean, it's interesting to read about like science fiction writers like Ursula K. Le Guin or, um, I was just reading about Ray Bradbury, and yeah. Ray Bradbury is an interesting writer because he really picks up, he sort of fuses realism with these other kind of art forms that weren't as, um, you know, science fiction, fantasy, yeah. romance, those things. That's that my people... jam, magical realism, that kind of thing. Yeah. Is my favorite. Yeah. But he didn't have anyone, like, he wasn't in an MFA program <laughs> that was like, yeah. you know, oh, well, you have to write short stories that are like realistic, you know, dark portrayals of, you know, the inner suffering of the working class or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't have anyone telling him what not to read. So he just like gobbled up all this stuff. And then what came out of him was this new mix, you know? Yeah. And I just find that, you know, I, I'm, I'm always just searching for alternate models. You know, I'm, I'm searching for these people, you know, that I can, I just want to, you know, I just get so tired of everything else. Cause I think that's, you know, people and people for, 
I, I think it's interesting because, you know, when people read Steal Like an Artist, they think I'm somehow against originality or against things that are new. And I'm like, you really don't know. Like, you know, they send me every mashup yeah. that has ever been done. Oh, check out this mashup and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, honestly, I hate most mashups, dude. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, you know, metamorphosis. Like, like. Yeah. I always loved in in Back to the Future where like you know Doc Brown would pull up in the DeLorean and he'd open the Mr. Fusion and he'd just throw garbage in there and then yeah. that would fuel the car and like yeah. I, that's really my vision of what artists have to do they have to kind of like dumpster dive and sort through the cultural garbage and become a refinery for some of this stuff and what comes out of you is you you become the and it can kill you. You know, I mean, like, some artists, it, it kills them. Yeah. I mean, it kills them taking in the culture that way. They become martyrs. I was watching a video of uh, my buddy who's a performer and a musician was showing me like his favorite performances and on YouTube. And one of them was this Elvis performance, like late, late, late in his life. And that was just, that was what I took from it was like, this is like channeling whatever this was killed him. Like he, he was, he was like shaking, couldn't make it over to the piano. Like <laughs> yeah. everyone's, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Then he starts playing the piano and singing. And it's like, God has, you know, descended into him. Like it, you're, it's just, and he's like a totally different person. And you just feel like, man, was it just like so much of like, so much of that translating so much of that, I don't know, channeling of, of taking the shit and turning it into something different. Like, I don't know. It must wear some people down. I think it does, but I would I, I would position at the opposite of Elvis. I would say, watch something like Amazing Grace, um, the Aretha Franklin documentary, yeah. because when you watch that, there's a different channeling going on. There's mm. there's this this strengthening spirituality to what she's doing. I mean, I, it really feels like. I mean, if you don't. Go to church. I mean, that's what I really believe, right? Like, I, I believe that there's a way to do it where it actually strengthens you. I yes. do believe that. And and if you want an example of how to do it, you watch Aretha Franklin because yeah. – and she's wrung out. You know, I mean, you can see her afterwards. I mean, you yeah. there is a toll taken, but it's the kind of wrung out that you get after working out. Not yeah. like going on a yeah. three-day bender, you know. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. I, I, I think it's so fascinating because – um. I loved it. I was watching the Keith Haring documentary the other day, mm. and um, it's an American Masters on PBS. Where is the Where's the Aretha Franklin one? That one I think is on Hulu. I saw it in okay. the theater a few years ago. It's just incredible. But uh, I think it's on Hulu right now, and of course you can get it like on DVD. Um, yeah, yeah. But the um, uh, the Keith Haring documentary cracked me up the other day because the one guy, one of his friends says, you know, the element that always gets underplayed in the Keith Haring story is the drugs. He was like, you cannot, 
<laughs> he wasn't saying that the drugs were where the talent came from or anything like yeah. that, but he was like, you cannot underestimate the sheer amount of drugs this young man was ingesting <laughs> and having while he was partying and on yeah. top of the world. It, you know, it was just, it was so refreshing to have someone, you know, to say, well, you know, there were an incredible amount of drugs involved here. <laughs> Because yeah, that just doesn't get said. You know, you watch all these documentaries and no one's ever says like, well, he was half off his gourd half the time, but yeah, <laughs> we loved him. <laughs> yeah, golly. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, that, that unfortunately is the case often. Again, though, this is the thing that I want. I want my readers, I want the culture to acknowledge it, not to, not to, not to, um, not to wash away anyone's sins, not to forgive any bad behavior, but just to understand that we come to art to be our best selves. Like we, yeah. we make art in an attempt to be the best versions of ourselves and we come to art to try to have a transcendent experience, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to transcend everyday life and of course there's a rough re-entry afterwards but like it's the same for artists when they're trying to make they are trying you know you got to look up the definitions of these words sometimes because they get thrown yeah. around so much but to actually transcend to get up out of the muck of life and to make something out of it I know it's romantic, but it's it's what it's here for. You know, that's that's what it is. And it's the same thing, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I love the Aretha Franklin documentary is because it's set in a church and it is has the structure of a service and it is showing what transcendence is like, both for the artist and for the audience. And it is captured on film. But I just feel like we just forget this all the time. We think that, you know, I and I, I it's just so, it's maddening to me. You know, this idea, yeah. I, I remember vividly seeing a 60 Minutes interview uh, or a 60 Minutes segment with Andy Rooney, you know, the, the old codger and him after Kurt Cobain died. And he said, yeah. um, you know, you know, oh, oh, these people, uh, you know, no one can be better than, you know, no one can be, uh, no, no art can be as better as the person that made it was what he said. Oh, and I thought, wow. you dumb old bastard. Like, have <laughs> yeah. you not paid attention to the thousands of years of art history we have? Like, I yeah. mean, you literally have hundreds of years of history showing the exact opposite, that it's yeah. incredible <laughs> that these people made these transcendent works. And you got someone like Bach who like, you know, I'll play Bach on the piano and it feels like someone scrubbed my brain with a Brillo pad. You know, I feel incredibly yeah. clean and orderly you know Bach was the f furthest from someone who was clean and orderly you know he grew up in this like kind of like thuggish world it's amazing that he wrote this music that that for church too you know yeah. I mean like but that's the that's the magic you know that that is we're trying to get somewhere else if if life was enough we wouldn't make art yeah. if life was Man. enough we wouldn't make art that's why we make it. It's not enough. We want something else. You had a quote earlier that reminded me of one of my favorite um, quotes. Paul Clay said uh, that art is not to reproduce the visible, but to make visible. And I think it reminds me of what you're saying, where when you transcend in your art, 
and by the way, if you can't be romantic about art, I don't know what you can be romantic <laughs> yeah. about. Um, but if you try, if you transcend an art and you're showing what could be, not necessarily what you are, that is a method in which you can push the culture and humanity forward. Yeah, there was a guy that tried to argue with me on Twitter before we got on, and, and he was uh, he 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 responded to the Bell Hooks quote, and he said. Well, that's just like Brecht said, you know, art isn't a depiction of reality. It's a hammer that shapes reality. And I was like, no, no, right. no, that's not, <laughs> that's not what Bell Hooks is saying. Reread it again. Bell Hooks is saying, the, the quote is, is we don't just depict reality. We imagine an alternate reality. She's not talking about shaping, rea hammering. That's such a macho man thing to say, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, let me shape yeah. reality with my art. What a bunch of horse shit. Right. What she's saying <laughs> is we're imagining an alternate universe. And if you think about it, you can portray an alternate universe that you don't have the tools to have happen in real life. I mean, the delusion that art can change life it can but it doesn't do it directly i mean it's not right. a hammer that shapes reality yeah. it's you, you know what i mean and i was just yeah. I, it's so funny but i don't i have a policy i don't argue with strangers on the internet yeah, but it right. but it, it's such a fundamental difference you know language matters mm -hmm. you know little tweaks to general ideas they matter you know, but to me, yeah. it was like the difference of someone like, you know, some great, you know, uh, great man Bertolt Brecht thing versus Bell Hooks, which, you know, is just it's so much of her writing is is influenced by, you know, black feminism and just not yeah. having power, you know, and, and, and so to me, it's like, get it here. We're talking about. We're taught, you know, it's not about shaping reality. It's about alternate reality, you know, imagining mm -hmm. another, because then even if you don't have, even if it's not even possible right now, at least the image is there and you can yeah. transfer the image and the image can do something to people's minds. Yeah. And I also, uh, this whole discussion reminds me, I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard of a, a culture that their eulogies are kind of the opposite of ours where our eulogies are almost no matter how horrifying or horrible the person was <laughs> yeah. if our eulogies are this person changed the world and he you know whatever it was it's always the greatest hits right and uh and and we're so appalled if we face the reality that they were complicated or whatever um and uh, this other culture which i wish i have to find what the reference is um they go tell the whole story they tell every single thing bad good indifferent just they just tell the whole story and you ride the roller coaster but by the end when you know someone's story you love them you have empathy for them i think attention is love and when you've learned someone's story you've paid attention to them yeah you know in a, in a fundamental way I wrote my first obit this year for my Aunt Becky, and wow. I thought a lot about how we know a person um, and what we say about them later. Um, there was sort of the official obituary that I wrote for her where it was kind of, you know, this is what the family wanted to say. These are all the biographical details that you have to get right. I mean, there's really an art to um, yeah. obit writing. Um, but then I had to write another obituary 
which was one from me, which was like, here's yeah. my vision. And I suddenly, you know, kind of, I did kind of think about like the, the Rashomon kind of effect of what, what, how incredible it would be if you could have, you know, 20 different obituaries of a person, you know, just how magical that yeah. would be, just this kaleidoscope. Yeah of what a person was like. But, you know, there were so many things I couldn't say in Aunt Becky's um, obituary that that, I, that seemed to me so deep and, and so personal and would almost give you a better portrait of her than the official obit, you know? It was yeah. a very strange experience. Everyone should try to, you know... I mean, I don't, I don't wish writing an obit on anyone um, for a family yeah. member, but talk about coming to terms with um you know how you know a person and did you say that you wrote one for yourself no i've never written one for myself oh, I, thought, I thought i thought you said that and i thought man that's a no that's a creative I, prompt I, that I, could do some things i don't know i think about death a lot i read a lot of obituaries but i don't think a lot about how i'll be remembered um sure. i i don't legacy to me you know people ask me every once in a while i'm like first of all i'm not important enough to, to care about legacy but the second right. thing is is i have children now and and yeah. Once you have kids, I mean, I think the child-free life looks wonderful, and I am totally into it. Like, I tell yeah. people, hey, man, you can live a sure. beautiful, yeah. full, <laughs> wonderful life without children. But there is something about, you know, once you do have them, you, you sort of like, you know, it's kind of like, well, this is kind of what what I left here, you know? Yeah. It's kind of... Um, and I always feel like it's weird when people talk about their books as children. I just, I'm just not, I'm like, <laughs> so they turn on you at one point, like they're incredibly painful when they get there. And then the really hard work begins when they get here. Like, I don't, you know, I'm always, um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, Which I, those I, two things may be true yeah, about books, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that that it wouldn't be a good exercise to write your own obit, but for me, I th I just think obituaries are about life. They're just about, yeah. you know, when I read obituaries, I'm always just like, how did this person do this? Like, wow. Like, I always love an obituary that has like three or four acts in it. You know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. oh, and then they did this, and you know, it's just amazing what people can deal with. Yeah. Are you in that same kind of vein of looking back uh, in the past? You kind of, I kind of, you strike me as kind of a creative historian in a way. Do you feel like that? I feel, I love, uh, the older I get, yeah. I really feel like people don't look back enough. I think that um, the great, the deepest artists I come into t contact with are usually connected to the past in some really rich and strong way. Um, mm. I think I've been obsessed with genealogy uh, since I was in the third grade. I'm obsessed with family trees and lineage, and but now that I'm older, I'm interested in creative lineages, that the ones that you kind of make for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that, and that like really made its way into still like an artist where I actually yeah. like told people like, you know, make your own family tree. For people don't, that don't know that, can you just, uh, kind of extrapolate what that 
practices? Yeah. So in Steal Like an Artist, I tell people, you know, just pick your favorite artist, just, you know, or your favorite thinker or activist or whoever, and just figure out everything there is to know about that person. Just research them deeply, just take in everything, and then find three people that influence them and do the same thing. And do that a couple times, and pretty soon you've got a history of your field that is custom made for you. Yeah. That is, you know, that, that instead of trying to gulp the whole survey of modern art, you have this very deep kind of meaningful tree that you can kind of pick from. And um, to me, that, that, and if you do that with a bunch of your favorite artists, then you've got even more interesting root systems going. I'm obsessed with trees right now. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. You know, when you were talking earlier about um, getting out from under the masters, you know, like changing your name to something that would horrify your, 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 your favorite artists, I was thinking about something uh, Brancusi said, which he said, you know, nothing, uh, it was when he walked away from his one of his mentors, and he said, "You know, nothing, nothing grows under big trees. Mm. Um, when young trees are growing up, they sort of are shielded by these bigger trees. Other nutrient, other things are happening, but they don't shoot up towards the light because there's none to get." And I, I always think that's really interesting. But I think about root systems a lot. I think about like where are you going to take from. You know, I think a lot of people misunderstand the steal like an artist thing. They're like, oh, well, let me look around at what everybody else is doing and I'll just yeah. take from that. And it's like, well, that's how to really just be derivative. The steal like yeah. I think actually steal like an artist, I'm going to use this word. People are very turned off by it, but like in the true meaning of the word, I think steal like an artist is a fairly conservative book in that it's right. interested in. Um, it's sort of interested in keeping the past around, which I think, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's about being a student, you know, it's sort of this ethos of knowing what came before you and bringing those things up with you. Yeah. You know, I think that the deeper your connection to the past is, the more you pull that stuff into the present and the more strength it'll have to sort of be launched into the future. I mean, that's just yes. how I kind of, I think about it. But I just think that, you know, I I have uh, Fran Lebowitz on my brain because there's a new Martin Scorsese documentary about her that I want to watch. But, you know, she says, she's so cranky and I love it. You know, she's always <laughs> talking about how like, you know, young people always think they did, just discovered bell bottoms, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, like bell bottoms never existed before. <laughs> whatever. She's always talking about how like young people, it's like they invented things and how they yeah. don't know history, you know, but I think there's an opposite. There's a, the thing I'm working on vision wise for myself is now that I'm a parent and now that I'm approaching middle age, um, I'm trying to work out how to, you know, the other books were sort of about being a curious young person, like looking to the past, making sure you aren't just uh, completely in the present, but, yeah. you know, being a good student. Um, now I'm working on how do you continue to be a student throughout life? How do you remain what I call a curious elder? Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody can ever know if their work matters in the big sense, but your work definitely matters to me and a lot and to my listeners. And uh, I hope that is uh, an encouragement for you in this 
crazy time. So thanks. It makes my day. And so did this conversation. So thank you. Massive shout out to Austin Cleon for taking time to have a long chat with me. It felt so good to just wax poetic around creative practices. What an inspiring person and deeply insightful about creativity. And he always is reminding me to recenter myself in the creative side of what I do and not get so distracted by uh, the shiny objects around career and social media and all that, all that stuff, you know, you know, I think it's important, but I think, uh, Austin is a, a great continual reminder of what the, the most important side of our practice really is, which is the creativity. And he does such a good job of compiling the wisdom of so many creative greats. Go check out his latest book. Keep going. It is easy to consume and deeply insightful. It's chocked full of pep and uh, an insight. Thanks again. Hey, by the way, I have a new kid's book out that I am freaking out about. I'm genuinely freaking out about it. It's called A Pizza With Everything On It. I am proud of this book. I know you're not supposed to say this, but I think this book is freaking awesome. The story is hilarious. It's written by Kyle Sheely and it's illustrated by me. And uh, it, it, I'm just, I'm so proud of it. I think it's a crazy kid's book <laughs> that is chock full with like little Easter eggs and all kinds of interesting uh, tidbits. I cannot wait for it to drop. It's out in a few weeks. Go pre-order yours now. I would love it. It would mean the world to me if you went and got some copies and gave them to the kids in your life. They will make great gifts. Check it out, creativepeptalk.com slash pizza, pizza, and pre-order now. I so appreciate all of you who shared it. Um, and we're going to keep pushing and get the word out for the next couple weeks. Uh, parents, I'm doing a virtual drawing event with Mightier, the company that makes video games to help kids discover emotional strength. It will be hands-on. We'll be talking about how I use drawing to calm myself down, and I will be teaching them how to draw some of my invisible things. It'll be a ton of fun. We did this activity in a small group, and it was freaking awesome. It was so cool to interact with the kids. Um, I haven't done much of that and I can't, and I cannot wait to do more starting with this event on April 14th. The event is free and you don't even need a Mightier account, but the spots are limited. So go register at mightier.com slash pizza today. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza for content assistance. Massive thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show so beautifully. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.